Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Uh, but uh, hey, good to see you. Do you know that this morning is, it is the last gathering, not only of 2019, but of this decade. Do you know that? This is very significant. Um, very, very significant. And so um, I want to encourage us, even if you decide to take a nap with Jesus, that to do it like with everything you've got and let's end well, right? Let's close this decade out uh, strong and, um, and really go after it here this morning. That's my encouragement to you. Uh, so uh, all in favor? Okay. All right. All right. Hey, I do have a confession to make before we get going, though. Um, my, uh, my wife really blessed me this Christmas, and uh, she made me wear uh, uh, Santa Claus pajamas. And then she, took a pic- she made me take a picture with her, and then she put it up on Facebook without me knowing. So um, a, a lot of you uh, have come up to me, and, and you've really loved me in Christ, you know, uh, as a result of that picture, and you've just really dumped all kinds of good affections on me uh, in, in uh, weird brotherly ways. And I wanted to just tell you, listen, yes, I dress up like Santa Claus every Christmas morning, uh, and I, I bless my children with bounty, okay? Uh, there it is, all right? Um, no, I, I, uh, I hope that you all had a great celebration. Uh, a great Christmas celebration. I know that we did. It was so peaceful. Honestly, there was more thankfulness and more joy in my family this year than I've experienced in a long time. Uh, it was so, so good. Uh, and I, I've heard good stories of that before uh, from many of you uh, as well. But I also know that, that many of our celebrations are kind of messy. And I love that because it reminds me uh, that, uh, that life is not perfect and God meets us not because of our perfection but because of our mess. Uh, I, uh, on Christmas Eve, I got home and I said, Adrian, how are you doing? She goes, I'm a little you know, stressed. She, I said, oh, why? She said, oh, I had trouble with the kids getting them to the service. We never come to church together um, uh, because we can't really. Um, and I said, well, why'd you have trouble with the kids? She said, well, I found them watching Die Hard before the, uh, the Christmas Eve celebration and I just couldn't get them away. I'm like, oh, wow. So uh, Merry Christmas. You know, so the, uh, things are not always pretty, but the grace of God is bigger. Amen. Wow, some of you just lost massive respect for me. I understand that. Uh, but uh, anyway, anyway, hey guys, I want to let you know here before we, we break into this that uh, whatever you brought into, into this place that feels like it is bigger than God, feels like it is bigger than you, um, God is bigger. Okay, and so uh, we're going to posture ourselves in, in, uh, in with that uh, mentality. And this morning, um, I want us to open our Bibles to the book of Mark. I'm going to be in three places in Mark, uh, starting with Mark chapter 12. Um, I really had it on my heart to, uh, to speak to like a biblical understanding, a biblical theology, uh, a, a biblical concept of, of finances in the kingdom for the, the month of December. As I was studying this passage, though, um, I was finding that God is really what God is doing with this passage. As it's, a, it's a passage that has to do with money, but really what it's doing is it's calling us back uh, to a lovesickness. It's calling us back to first love with Jesus. And so that's what I pray happens this morning. This is how we're going to end this decade. We're going to call our hearts back to lovesickness with Jesus. Amen? Amen. So just let's put our hands over our hearts for one moment. 
And let's just say, God, we dedicate our hearts, every single part of them. We, we, uh, we pray for a unified heart. We pray for every secret place, even places in our own hearts that we, we don't even know about, God. We pray for every single square uh, centimeter of our hearts to be yours. Lovesick, beautifully lovesick for you. Um, God, all of the things that are standing in the way, all of the things that we feel shame and guilt over, all of those things, God, all the ways we've been mistreated, all the things we're holding on to, every single thing, God, you're bigger than all of those. We hand them to you and we ask, God, that you would, you would deal with them now that so every single place of our heart is madly in love with you. We bless you. We praise you. Uh, be near in this time. We welcome you to come and move in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, open. Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 41. This is a pretty amazing passage. I'm going to break right into it. Here's what it says. It says, and he sat down. The he in this passage is Jesus. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Does that scare anybody at all? What Jesus is doing, he's like, you know what I'm going to do right now? I'm going to watch people give is what I'm going to do. Uh, and so, and that's what he did. He, he sits down, he positions himself opposite the money box where people go to put their tithes and their offerings in. And he watched people giving. And he goes on to say that many rich people put in large sums. Verse 42, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny combined. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now this passage will make your head spin. In multiple directions for multiple ways. Number one, if you're a math person, whatever, you know that rich people putting in large sums of money is, is more than people that are poor putting in money out of their pennies, out of their poverty. A million dollars is bigger than a penny. We know that. But according to Jesus, in his heart and his word, it's not head spent. My head spins when I think about Jesus watching us give. It almost doesn't seem right, but it is because Jesus is doing it very right. If we feel squeamish, just tell her, listen, it's very right. Jesus did it. Well, I don't know if I want to follow somebody who watches me give. Well, hey, tough cookies. Jesus did it. He's doing it. Listen, very right. <laughs> head spins. But the head spins the most in, in my world. When Jesus not only kind of says, well, bless you, sister, under his breath, but he calls attention to this poor lady that is giving more in his kingdom realm than anybody else who's putting in their tons. Do you know that Jesus intentionally watched people's giving? You know this? Remember, that's one of the things that we said uh, makes my head spin at least, makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. As I was reading that, though, as, as my head stopped spinning, I started wondering, well, if he's watching, he's watching for a reason. So what is he looking for? You ever think about that? So Jesus is watching you give, and he's watching me give, and he's actually positioning himself so he can see. What is he looking for? What is he looking for? What I find is, is as we're reading this, that he's not necessarily looking for dollar amounts because the last half of verse 41 says, many rich people put in large sums. 
So Jesus isn't counting, and he's actually not getting excited about large sums. I love this because Jesus is never worried about the state of his treasury. <laughs> never worried. He doesn't have ulterior motives here. He's not, he's not watching giving so he can feel better about, okay, we got enough money to make this thing go. This is not a part of it. Jesus is watching people's giving and he's looking for something other than dollar amounts. Rich people are putting in large sums. Those large sums, listen, did not catch Jesus' attention. What is he looking for? Well, we continue to read on verse two. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, you've got to see this. You've got to see this. A poor widow came. Two small copper coins, which make a penny. Now, these, these uh, two copper coins combined make one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Okay? They're one sixty-fourth of a denarius. And a denarius was a day's wage. This is, this is basically like putting in a leaf into the offering. It really had no value whatsoever except to the person who possessed it. Except for the owner of the penny, because this penny, uh, this penny represented everything the widow had. And so here she is, impoverished, taking everything that she had and putting it into the treasury. Now, you know what I think would have gotten Jesus' attention if the rich people, instead of giving out of their abundance, and in other words, they're giving so they don't really even feel it. They've got so much, here's the extra but the Bible talks about first fruits. These people are giving the, whatever they have left over at the end. That doesn't get Jesus' attention. Jesus, Jesus would have had, those people would have had Jesus' attention if, if Jesus would have seen that they were giving everything that they had. Then Jesus is like, wow, you gotta see the rich folk. They're really giving too. Extra, where you give so you don't feel it. Ah, when you give everything you've got to me, I see that because what this communicates is something that is so kingdom. That when we're giving and we're saying to God, God, I value you more than this money. That gets Jesus' attention. And interestingly enough, this is not wrong. Interestingly enough, nowadays, somebody does that, and, and they would be counseled, oh, don't do that. God wants you to have some money in the bank. But Jesus is celebrating this lady going baroque in front of his very eyes. This is, this is very, very interesting. Poor widow comes. She only has two small copper coins left. Only makes a penny. It's not much money. In Jesus' eyes, as he's watching, this is more than the rich people are giving. This is strange. This is what Jesus is watching for. This gets Jesus' attention. He doesn't counsel her to take it back. He doesn't counsel her to do something else. He doesn't counsel her to, you know, let me help you get a job. He just celebrates an insane sacrifice. And he celebrates it by calling his disciples to him and drawing attention to her this is pretty wild. This is, this is why I'm saying my head is spinning. Anybody else? Jesus is watching. He's not counting. He's not concerned with sums. Listen to this. He's not concerned with sums. Two pennies in his kingdom, that's enough. He's not concerned with sums. What he's concerned with is sacrifice. You hear this? What he's concerned with is sacrifice. Now, I love uh, the word sacrifice. I think many of us 
Uh, when we say the word sacrifice, uh, we feel some type of emotional pain. Uh, we like the idea of being able to give money that we don't feel it leaving, uh, but we can still kind of get God off of our back. But God loves, when God's thinking about giving, whether it's emotionally, whether it's relationally, but whether it's financially, God's actually saying, no, 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 I'm not concerned with sums. You can hide behind sums all day long. You can hide behind a sums for a decade. I'm concerned about sacrifice. Sacrifice. And this is not a religious sacrifice. This is not a sacrifice. A religious sacrifice is, God, I'm doing something to appease you. Listen, let me tell you this, friends. You know where the Father was appeased, right? And that was the cross. So we're not giving a sacrifice. This, this little lady is not appeasing God. She's sacrificing before him. So this is not a religious sacrifice. Here's what this is. Here's what God has shown me as I've been studying this passage. When you think about why would a poor widow who has nothing and has no future, because women back in this day, especially widows, especially impoverished widows that have nothing, really don't have a great future to look forward to. Why in the world would this lady take everything that she's got and sacrifice it on the altar of worship? Why? Why? Well, it's because this is not a religious sacrifice. This is what I'm calling a lovesick sacrifice. A lovesick sacrifice. The kind of sacrifice that you make when you're bonkers for another person and you say, you know what? We'll live on love. We will live on, hey, you, there's, I know that there's got to be people in here that when you thought about getting married or when you thought about, you know, getting into a relationship with somebody else and your parents stepped in and said, you don't have two pennies to rub together. You said, we'll live on love. You know how that is. We will figure it out. But what you're saying there is I would rather have nothing with this person than have two pennies without this person. It's a lovesick sacrifice. It's, there's nothing religious about it. It is, it is, it is all or nothing. That is a lovesick sacrifice, and that's what this lady is doing. The Bible doesn't say much about this woman, but what it does say is that she gave in such an exceptional way that you have to be sick with love to do that. I, I remember when um, I was, uh, when I was uh, purchasing an engagement ring for my wife. I did do that. Yes, yeah, so sweet. It wasn't, it wasn't big, but I remember what I, what I did is I, I accumulated, uh, you know, and I was about 20 years old, 21 years old at the time. I accumulated all of the earthly wealth that I had up until the, that point. And I, uh, I took my Gibson Les Paul, and I took the amp that it went with. Hello. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I took, uh, I took some jewelry that my mom had. Thanks, Mom. Sorry for stealing it. Uh, I took uh, um, the... Um, I took actually she gave it to me, but uh, I, I, I took uh, all of my guns because I, there was a season in my life where I lived on a farm and my stepdad didn't really love me, all right? He just gave me guns. When I was home from school, he'd put a loaded shotgun by my bed. I'm, I'm sick in bed, fever of 190 or whatever. He's like, if you hear those darn squirrels, I want you to roll out of bed and shoot them. I'm like, okay, all right? That's my childhood, okay? And so, so I had an arsenal of weapons, all right? I would literally cry. I'd have a little red squirrel on my sights. I'd be crying. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? Um, but this is so I had, I had an arsenal of weapons. I had a Gibson Les Paul. I had dreams about music for the future. I had some of, uh, some of uh, inheritance. And I took all of it and cashed it in on a tiny diamond ring. 
Why? It makes no sense except for when you're lovesick. And then you take this tiny thing that everything else can, can be liquefied to possess because you want to bestow it on the object of your affection. This is what's going on here for this woman. She say, the, these two pennies are not my future, Jesus is. These two pennies are not my inheritance, Jesus is. These two pennies are not my wealth, Jesus is. These two pennies are not my trust, Jesus is. I can gladly depart from them out of lovesickness for him. Jesus is not watching sums. He's watching lovesick sacrifice. And don't you know that the extent of the sacrifice you make shows the depth of your love? Don't you know that? Don't you know that as a, as a, as a parent, you would gladly give your life for your children? That's because the depth of your love is bigger than your life for them. Do you know the Bible says, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now you want to get deep sacrifice? How about taking the, the, the one who formed every star and every planet and every galaxy and every universe that there is? How about taking the one who every living thing, every created thing exists for? How about taking him and giving him to the world who does not want you? Ah. <laughs> wow. Wow. For God so loved the world that he gave. And here from his position, it's not, it's not two pennies. It's his son. The greatest sacrifice. Guys, listen. Sacrifice shows love. Sacrifice shows love. This is why the Bible says that when you give your tithes and your offering, I don't want you doing it out of, you know, out of appeasement. I want you to do it laughing. I, I don't want your money. Jesus is not watching the treasury hoping it gets filled so, so you know, the, the ministry can go. He, he's looking for people that want him. Sick with love for him. It's not sums, it's sacrifice. And sacrifice shows love. Wow! You sacrifice for what you love. You sacrifice for who you love. You, you liquefy all assets to purchase what will bring blessing to those you love. I don't even miss my Gibson Les Paul. I, I, I could never even play it. Liquefy it. Get, like, what's going, what, what small thing is going to express love to the object of my affection? And as Jesus is watching people, uh, people give, he's like, oh man, that's a million dollars, but that's not out of love. That's just, they love to be seen. That is their reward. In fact, these, these offering boxes were kind of trumpet-like and they were made of metal. And so the more money you put in, the bigger bang it made, clang it made, pa-kang. And maybe these people back then, they're putting in lots of money just because they love the big sound and the attention it draws. Like, whoa, look at Mr. 10,000 Pants. He really, <laughs> he's really something. Let's make him a leader. 
Jesus is just like, man, I, I'm tired of clanging cymbals. I'm looking for love. I'm just looking for love. If you flipped over two more chapters, you actually see another woman very much like the, this woman here in, in Mark 12. You see in Mark chapter 14, starting with verse 3, you see another woman sick and insane with love. Her mind's gone because of love. It says this, and while he was at Bethany, that's Jesus, in the house of Simon the leper, he was, he was uh, invited over for dinner. Uh, and as he was reclining at the table, leaning back into his father's arms, the Passion Translation says to thank God, right? It's, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, this is a lady, this is, this is, she's lovesick, but she's in a different posture. She's lovesick, but she's in a different position. The, the poor widow, out of her poverty, she's giving everything. This lady has something that cost a whole year's wages. She could live large for a year without working. And what she does is she comes and takes this ointment of pure nard and an alabaster flax and she breaks it open and dumps it on Jesus' head. Now people who aren't lovesick don't did this and suddenly they get very religious, very spiritual. And here's, here's how someone that doesn't understand what it is to be sick with love. Here's how they think. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, that means they're very angry. Why was the ointment wasted like that? You know what you're doing? You know what your worship is? You know what you're pouring out everything that you've got? You know what it is? It's not wise. It's not responsible. You know what I did? It's a waste. Have you ever thought that about somebody else's worship? Why? Why? Why so weird? Why so much? Just give us a little at a time, why don't you? Well, listen, worship's not about you. You don't get to watch other people's worship and make comments. It's not about you. This is, this is worship. Why was the ointment wasted like this? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? Why'd you, why'd you do this? They don't know what it is to be lovesick. And here comes Jesus, and he says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. She, as I'm watching what's going on around this table, you all, are, you've got questions for me. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But I'm watching you be more critical than worshipful. I'm watching you and your hearts aren't alive, but hers is alive. And she's taking a very small thing in the grand scheme, and she's dumping it all over my head. And here's why. Because she has a love sickness that you haven't caught. And you don't understand because your heart isn't even close to hers. So you got, we got one woman, and, and big capacity, years worth of finances, tens of thousands of dollars gone in an instant with Jesus. And we got another woman who two pennies, but it's all she has, gone in an instant for Jesus. And this, my friends, is what I am hungry for us to know. 
This, friends, is what I'm hungry for us to live going into 2020 and closing out 2019. The question is, is not how much you give. The question is, is not have you signed up on the app for recurring tithe whatever payments. That's not it. The question is, is are your gifts, whether lavish and extreme this way or lavish and extreme this way, are they out of love for Jesus? Are they sacrifices that are not coming from religion that says, I have to, but they're coming from love that says, I want to. I want to give. It brings me delight to part with a small love in order to bless my grand love. Brings me great delight. Sacrifice shows love. I I love the thought of selling all my guns. I love the thought of selling my guitars. I love the thought of communicating to my bride that she is worth more than those things. But the kind of Christianity that we try to create and then make work and then be confused when it doesn't is the kind of love when when you have one love in your life that is rivaled by smaller ones. Well, Adrian, I was going to get you an engagement ring, but... There was no space for it. I had no funds. Well, you've got that nice guitar. Don't you love me more than that? Oh, that's not a fair thing to ask. Don't you want me to be happy? Well, yeah, like I'm literally giving you myself. Well, (laughs) oh, you, I can't really, you're not enough. It's what you communicate to God when. You have small loves in your life that you have to ask permission. You have, you, I, I trust other things as equal rivals to you and your glory. Oh, why? Why does my Christianity not seem to be working? Why does my life not, not say, why do I feel like I'm dry? There's a story, if you flip back this time, to Mark chapter 10, there is like the antithesis to this, uh, to this passage or the, a contrasting passage. There's a guy here this time. And I love that, do, do you, listen, do you see this, that the, that the, that the heroes in Jesus' story are women? Do you see this? And now the person that is operating out of religion and that love sickness is a dude. Do you see this? This is not accidental. And so here we are in Mark chapter 10. Uh, and as he was he, being Jesus again, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is how I picture him talking. I love, I love that he, uh, he's running up, like super like eager beaver, like, hey, Jesus, hold on, here I come. I gotta do it. Well, let me kneel first. He, he, he's got everything down, except his heart is jacked. Let's get everything down. Hey, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So notice this, that his question is not about, how do I get close to you, Jesus? His question is more like, how do I not go to hell when I die? And notice that he says, good teacher. And Jesus actually challenges that and says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You're calling me good because you're you're sucking up. You don't even know what you're saying. Do you literally see me as God in the flesh here? Or are you just talking out words just to sound good to get what you want? 
And Jesus says, okay, you want to play that game? You want to start with religion? You want to bow to somebody you don't treasure? You want to call someone good that you don't even believe is? Fine. You just want to go to heaven? Fine. Let's play that game. And Jesus goes on and starts listening about five of the Ten Commandments. Another guy jumps right in there and he says, oh, good, 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 good. Verse 20, teacher, he knows he didn't call him good this time. <laughs> uh, All these I have kept from my youth. Oh, so you want to you wanna get to heaven on your own righteousness. Great. And Jesus says this, and I love this part. And Jesus looking at him, Jesus, now Jesus is not uh, positioning himself across from the treasury, the offering thing. Now he's positioning himself across from an image bearer that he created with his own hand in his mother's womb. And he's looking at him. He's, he's intently watching. Makes your head spin. Why would you look? Well, here's why. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow. Wow. Guys, get all in wonder that Jesus is talking to somebody that doesn't even want him, just wants to use him to get what he really wants, and he still loves the man. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Well, like a, like a, a Psalm 27, 4, one thing, exactly like that. Like a Psalm 84, 10, one thing, exactly like that. You, you lack a lovesick heart that says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You, you, you lack a heart that says, I, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. You, you lack a heart that says, one thing have I asked, this is my one pursuit that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, basking in his greatness, inquiring in his temple. This is my one thing. Jesus says, you lack one thing. The one thing. So Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Come follow me. Now look at verse 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. And here's the crazy thing. It's not just that he had great possession. It's that his great possession greatly had him. So much so that the possession, when Jesus, here's Jesus is setting him up. Jesus is like, hold on, you lack one thing. I I want you to get rid of your small love and come follow me as the great love of your life. And he's putting it up like this, like, who do you want? You want your great possessions or do you want me? We, we try to posture. See, this is the kind of guy that we make a leader. This is the kind of guy that we, you know, we get excited about because he's enthusiastic and he's kneeling and he's, he's, he's saying proper theology, but his heart's a wreck because he literally sees wealth as greater than Jesus. And so he walks away from Jesus so he can keep a secondary small love that Jesus would give him as, as a good gift, just not as a good treasure. Every good gift comes from God anyway. Yet he didn't get this or earn this on his own anyway. But that's the lie that comes along is I've got a, I'm better than God. We try to organize our lives. (laughs) We try to organize our lives so we can have heaven and keep what we think is real joy when Jesus wants to take those shackles off and break that lie. 
says, money at the end of your day will never do for you what I can do for you, my son and my daughter. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, is Jesus, the resurrected Christ, speaking to the church. And he's encouraging the church for having good theology. He's like, hey, you're sniffing out false prophets. You're sniffing out false apostles. You're, you're sniffing out false falsities. You love the truth. That's good. But Jesus challenges the church for missing their one thing again. He said, but Jesus says this, while you've guarded your theology, you haven't actually guarded your heart. While you've guarded your theology, <laughs> you haven't guarded your love. I have this against you. Now that'll make your head spin. The resurrected Christ right now is tattooed on his thigh, like white mane coming out of his face, sword coming out of his mouth, breathing fire. Read Revelation. I can tell you guys did not get that. Actually, I think there's fire in his eyes and not breathing fire. All right? So, yeah, that's more. That would be a dragon, all right? So, uh, yeah, that's bad theology, Nathan. But Jesus, here's the resurrected Jesus. I have this against you that you have, aban you have abandoned the love you had at first. <laughs> you abandoned the love you had at first. Then he goes on and says, go do what you did at first. And he's not calling us back into the chains of religion. He's saying, go, do you remember the time where you had two pennies to rub together and you, both, and you gave them both to me? Where'd that go? Do you remember the time when, when you had a, a year's worth of stuff and one jar and you dumped it over my head? Where did that go? Get that back. Do what you did at first. When I was your treasure, when I was your supreme possession, when I was your everything, this, you've lost your first love. You've replaced it with good theology, but good theology is supposed to move you to loving me and treasuring me and adoring me. It's supposed to stir up holy affections in you. And if it doesn't, it is not as good as you think it is. You lost your first love. I remember, like, here's, here's what I did at first. I've been really, God's really been flooding my mind with memories of what I used to do at first. I, I uh, as a 16, 17-year-old young man, um, I was so excited. I, I didn't care about driving cars. I really didn't care about dating girls. I used to get made fun of that for all the time. You don't want to drive and you don't want to date? Well, I do want to date. It's just like, as a 16-year-old, I think it's dumb. You know, I'd say that. <laughs> Why? Like, what, to get your heart broken or break someone else's? Like, I, I don't get it. Um, so I, what I would do, though, is, is I, I, I left the dating scene and I ran to my room and closed the door and I grabbed my Bible and I dated Jesus. Every day. This is, I, I know it could sound like I'm lying to you. Ask my mom. Ask my brother. I was obsessed with just getting with Jesus. I, I didn't have a theology degree, not even close, but I read my Bible till it fell apart. The whole New Testament on the floor. I was like, oh man, I got to get a new one. And you know, it's a good thing when you get a new Bible, not because you've kind of grown weary of uh, how, how the, your current one looks, but because you've used it so hard that it's out of necessity. This is how I was. I underline, 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 cry, 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 repent, 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 worship, 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 and things were flowing out of me that are just otherworldly. That's, that's the best I can say. I forgot to eat. I didn't want to go to bed. I, just, I, was, I was just, I, 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 I would write songs, but I'd, I'd 
I'd stain the paper with my tears. I just wanted Jesus. Mom would say, hey, I made baked ziti. I don't care, Mom. I'm eating better food. Okay. Phil would holler up, Nathan, it sounds like you're crying. What's your problem? (laughs) I'm okay. I'm just, Jesus is just wrecking me. Uh, uh, A mentor in my life told me, you know, Nathan, you went to the Moody Bible Institute and got your bachelor's degree. Then you went and got your master's degree. You graduated with honors, which I did. You learned all the stuff. You wrote all these papers. You got a philosophy of this. and You got a doctrine of that and all that stuff. But you know what your ministry is built on is this 16-year-old you falling madly in love with Jesus, riding a bus with freshmen and not caring, running up the street to get in your room along with Jesus. Do you know that I started Providence um, so, so desperate for Jesus. Like, I would get up. I, I barely missed a day of getting up at five. And in fact, if my eyes opened anywhere within like a half an hour, uh, like 4.30 on, I would be up. I started drinking coffee, not because I loved coffee, but because I, I, I wanted to be awake to meet with Jesus. And I would get up, I would get up in, the, in the morning. This is before kids, and this is before, uh, this is before Providence is right, Providence is starting. And I, all, I didn't even know how to express love for Jesus. It's, so I would just lay on the ground in the form of a cross, face down, just saying, this is all I know how to get close to you, God. I just, just meet me here, meet with me here. And I would spend four hours, five to nine, every day, just Spending time with Jesus. I just want Jesus. When Jesus is saying, go back and do the things that you did at first, this is what he's talking about. Where did the love sickness go? You wrote papers. I never asked for them. I've only wanted you. I've only wanted you. I want you to be a, a teenager in love with me again. I've only wanted you. And this is evidence in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, where Jesus is looking at somebody that he knows has a love sickness issue. Knows is about to deny him. And he looks at him and he loves him. He loves him. Jesus is looking at him. He loved him. He loved him. He lo- when, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't, he doesn't vomit a little. When Jesus looks at you, he's not disgusted. When Jesus eye locks with you, You know that you're loved. The the question is, are you going to let the love of Jesus capture you? Are you going to let your heart stop believing that you're unlovable and start believing that there's a greater love than you've ever known? I think that so many of us, our life doesn't work exactly like it was supposed to. And so somehow we feel that we're unworthy and we're this and that. We're we're, we're unlovable. And unlovable becomes the banner statement over our lives. And we try to make ourselves feel better by getting a a coon hound. And we make ourselves feel better by putting that coon hound in a big truck and with a lift kit. We, We make ourselves prettier on the outside. When all... The while God just loves you because he just loves you. When he locks eyes with you, he just loves. He just loves. I, most of my experience in life was trying to get me to obey God religiously. Say the right things. Write the right things. Instead of just be madly bonkers for Jesus. You guys know a guy named Keith Green died in 1982? 
He described being a Christian like this. He says it's very easy. It's being bananas for Jesus. And back in my day when I'm at the Moody Bible Institute, I'd say, heresy, false prophet. (laughs) But he's so much writer than most of the theologians I've ever read. I, I, I was, I was, I had this, these lies heaped on me. I'm going after Jesus in my room, but then I'm going to spiritual fathers and mothers in my life, and they're literally telling me that my greatest identity is knowing that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'd be like, well, I know I was a sinner. I know I have been saved by grace. Doesn't that mean that I'm the righteousness of Jesus now? Like, I, I read the Bible till it fell apart. Oh, no, you're, you're a sinner saved by Don't I have a new identity? No. And so I was actually encouraged to champion my self-loathing spiritualized, hating myself. God doesn't like you. He loves you. God might use you, but he's too holy to want you. And this is what was blazed into my head. Blazed. There's no, it's no wonder that we're not lovesick because we've made it illegal. We made it illegal. To, to dump everything we've got on Jesus and then call it biblical because that's what Jesus does. But we say, hold back. You're just a sinner. You can't even trust your emotions. Oh, guys, Jesus comes to that kind of church and says, you know some stuff, but you've lost your first love. Go back and do what you did at first. The pennies, the ointment, the love. Do you know that God loves you not because you've earned it, Do you know that God loves you not because you deserve it? Do you know that God loves you just because he loves you? That's how good the Father is. You don't don't get his attention in the love department. He loves the person that, that loses him for wealth, as well as the poor widow who gives everything she got. He loves you because he loves you. You are not worthless looking for value. You are valuable in need of adoption, the Bible says. So here we are with God, and this is how I, I really felt Jesus wanted me to end this week by beckoning you guys and saying, hearts, wake up. Wake up to the greatness of Jesus. Some of us, we can't even add an again to that because it's never happened. We've been sucked into a system that's allowed us to have multiple loves. And here, here Jesus, I, I, he's calling us. He's calling us back to love sickness. He's calling us back to first love. He's calling us into a new decade with him at the center alone. And that's it. He'd rather take some poor, impoverished, messed up people that are being picked on by the world and advance his kingdom with them than know-it-alls who think they have what they do not, in fact, possess. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that life is Jesus. That life is Jesus. So the secret to being lovesick is Jesus. Seeing him, looking back in his eyes. Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know, 2019 had a bunch of that stuff in it. But that stuff was not successful at separating you from this love 
in Christ. Look at verse 37 of Romans chapter 8. No, and all these things we are more than conquerors through him who helped us try hard. No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able None of it is able. It may try, but it will fail. It is not able, the Bible says, to what? To what? To what? To separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Or what, what, is, what does Paul say to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, uh, I don't know, let's start with 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So here's, here's Paul, he's bowing his knees before the Father for the right reasons. <laughs> From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in great theology, in your schooling, no, those things are fine if they're accompanied by love, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. What do we need to comprehend? With all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the prayer of the apostles that have gone before us. We want an expanding capacity to know that you are loved, to be rooted in love. That is what matters. So I just believe this morning that we need a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding. Like revelation just means that, that you would actually have it revealed to you by the Spirit that you are loved and that Jesus is a greater treasure than any rival. He has no rivals. He is the greatest and that we will be able to see him for who he is and love him for who he is. And here's the, here's the beautiful part. Here's the beautiful part. We love because God first loved. And so you don't conjure up love religiously. You receive the Father's love and get full of it. Then you splash it on others. And then you return it to him. He gets all the glory for this. All the glory for this. I, just, I want you to stay seated just for a moment. I just want to be quiet for like 10 seconds. I just want to see what God wants to do here. Father, I, you're not giving me anything specific, so I'll, I'll just pray the big heaviness of what you put on me. Is I just pray for like liquid love just to cover people, God. Like heavenly rain to dry hearts that don't believe that they're loved. God, thank you that receiving your love isn't about our worthiness, that you love us in our unworthiness. Jesus is worthy, we are not. Your love meets us there, end of story. Silence lies. Cover this church with your love. God, I'm tired of asking us to try hard. 
I just pray, God, that we would be wrecked with your love, that we would go into uh, 2020 living loved as the beloved, adopted in sons and daughters. And I pray for people here that, I, I, God, here's some specific. Here's what it is. I pray for people that have been coming to church for a long time, even province for a long time, and they don't know you. They've been trying to follow you, and they're frustrated. They've been trying to follow you, but they don't know grace. They're, ju- they're trying and trying. I pray that today would be the, sal- the day of salvation for them, and they'd swallow their pride, and they'd say, never saved. Today, I welcome Jesus as my treasure and my love. So I just pray, God, that you, you would break, God, break pride. And that, that you, would, you would save people by your love and by your goodness and by your kindness. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you. We're loved because we're loved because we're loved because we're loved. So I just pray that we would, we would leave knowing that we're loved. Living life loved. No perform, all performance gone. Just the love of the Father surging through our veins. You can take my little, you can take my much. I'm just lovesick. I trust you with my future. That's the blessing that I give to these precious people of yours. And I thank you, God, that we've got a great 2020 coming. It's just going to be better than we know. And I just pray that we would, we, would, uh, we would just posture ourselves ready to receive better blessings than we knew than, that we could have. So we bless people. Send us out ready to receive happy about it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.